0: Always this weird thing with the Anchor app that I use to record episodes because you'll hit record and then you have to wait about three seconds before the time starts counting, which tells you you're recording. Hello, it's another episode of Saddest Night Out. It's me, Roy. It's Tuesday, the 29th of November. I've just got back from work and I made a few notes for today's episode. And those notes are let me tell you what those notes are for this episode 321. The title of this episode is Stuts on Netflix and the Snapshot. The notes I made were my snapshot album 3 in brackets, the 1975 Phoenix Arctic Monkeys and their snapshots, how artists do it and how fans react. My phone's battery life is fried. I limp now. According to my Spotify rap, I created 603 minutes of new content, 78% more than the average creator. A Spotify-wrapped season is upon us. It's imminent. You can smell it in the air. The hashtag's already out there on Twitter. I haven't yet seen my Spotify Spotify Spotify-wrapped of what I listen to. But I guess I can get a glimpse of my Spotify-wrapped of the podcast that I make because I use the Anchor app, which is owned by Spotify. As for I limp now, I just got back from work. I've been limping for about two weeks now. There was one time I had to run for the train. I just was not ready to run for it. And now... When I walk and I have to go up on the balls of my feet, my left foot hurts to do that. So I'm now walking awkwardly to avoid doing that. Don't get old, folks. I don't recommend it. And my phone's battery life is fried. My phone lives in it, the charger. And when it's not in the charger, it can go from 80% to like, 60% in minutes. It's an old phone. I did the, I do the very bad habit of leaving it charging overnight. But hey, that's life sometimes. Which brings us to... The title and main topic of today's episode. I watched the documentary Stutz on Netflix last night with a good friend Ken. Ken, hello if you're listening. Stutz, if you don't already know, is a documentary by Jonah Hill, the Academy Award-nominated actor, perhaps best known for his part in The Wolf of Wall Street or earlier in his career, the classic, I'd call it a classic, Superbad. He has made a new documentary on Netflix about his therapist, named Stutz. And I watched it for the first time last night. Ken highly recommended it. He was watching it for the second time. It's a really interesting watch. It puts a very practical lens on the notion of therapy and gives you, they literally call them tools that are actionable so you can actively start changing your outlook on your life and the way that you behave in your life. And I really appreciate how pretty... I think as soon as they get going, which is only about two, three, four minutes into the film, the therapist gets straight to essentially, tell me what you want and I'll tell you exactly how to start getting it. Like, let's let's just go. Let's not waste time and go back and forth with, tell me all your problems and how does that make you feel and so on. No, let's just get straight into it. I highly recommend watching it, if only just for curiosity's sake. It's a very interesting watch. And there are a bunch of tools that are laid out throughout the documentary. And at the end, there's a a website link so you can go to... Because it's like you're watching a TED Talk, essentially. But there's also a personal story within it. And there are chapters to it, which are these tools that Stutz the Therapist shares. And it's one of those tools that stuck with me. And it's the idea of the snapshots. Now, the snapshot is described in the movie as... And I quote from the website that they tell you at the end of the movie. The snapshot slash the realm of illusion. Most people are, are most people are on a constant hunt for the perfect experience, the perfect partner, the perfect amount of money, the perfect level of success. Stutt says that thinking of life in this way resembles a snapshot or a frozen moment that has no movement, dynamism or depth. And essentially, thinking that way is unsustainable because life is all about movement, it's about motion, it's about things happening, ups and downs, good and bad, and the messiness of all of it, and persevering in the face of it. But the snapshot, like a literal snapshot, it's still, it's frozen. That isn't what real life is, and you can get hooked on the idea of the snapshot, and when that happens, you can fail to recognize the value that real life has. So this idea of the snapshot stuck with me. Let me get back to those ever-so-necessary notes that I made. By the way, I hope you can hear me okay. I'm getting used to leaving my phone on a stand instead of holding it near my mouth. But sometimes I forget I need to talk into my phone as it's the microphone. So I might get a little bit like this, but hopefully you can still make out what I'm saying. I get I listen to so many podcasts. I get very particular about podcast audio, particularly if the talking is way quieter than any theme tune music. That always irritates me. Because it's as if I need to turn the volume right down when the music starts playing and turn it back up again when you start talking. That's not what today's episode is about though. So, the snapshot. The idea of being beholden to this perfect notion of what life is. Or this perfect, that life can be this particularly perfect thing. And for some people it's a sense of, if I only had that thing, then everything would be perfect. But I started thinking about it in terms of music, as I want to do on this podcast. Hence the artist I listed in my notes, the 1975 Phoenix and Arctic Monkeys. Because one key thing that was said a lot during the whole New York Revolution of the 2000s, or at least something I very much felt, I don't think I was alone in thinking this, is the idea that we had a really good crop of debut albums. A lot of artists arrived with a bang and their first albums knocked it out of the park. Their first albums are really good, arguably too good because what happens to you as a listener, especially I think even more so now, that we are only getting more and more inundated with music. It's gone from in economic terms, which I don't myself really understand, from a buyer's a seller's market to a buyer's market. So in the seventies, eighties, whatever, when music was a much more physical medium, and what you, what you saw was what you got. You had to maybe you only got a tenner to buy an album each month. You'd read the music magazines, see the reviews. They recommend this album, you buy it. Whether you like it, whether you hate it, you're stuck with it for that month until next month when you have another ten pounds to buy another album. So you, because it was the only album you could buy that month, you would have to appreciate it on its terms. As we get to the turn of the century, before streaming services even, when we're all just, not me, some people, (laughs) are just downloading like crazy. Now it's a buyer, so before it was a seller's market. Whatever they're selling, you as the customer just had to take it and live with it on its terms. Now we're all out here downloading full discographies. Anything we want is at our fingertips. It's a buyer's market. If you download something and you don't particularly like it straight away, you can just jump to the next thing. You don't have to live with that one album for a month anymore. You don't have to rely on the reviews and the magazines to dictate what you're going to get. And part of what I noticed, and maybe it's telling of how much I got swept up in all of this, is that I could very easily... Bands would have great debut albums that would really have me hooked. And then there would be a sense of almost inevitable diminishing returns. All the albums that came afterwards were good, but not quite as good as that debut. In later years, there have been reappraisals of artist discographies and recognitions that actually this later album was better than we gave it credit for. It's just we all got swept up in the hype of the debut. There was also that as well. It's a bit like the idea of a first love, or just when you're in that heady, late teen age, everything that happens to you just feels like it hits that much harder. Maybe it's the hormones running around. Maybe it's because the novelty is still fresh. I don't know, but there was a real sense of debut album fever in the two thousands, which makes me think of the snapshot—the idea that you you have found when you first hear that first album, this is perfect. This is your perfect snapshot of that artist. And now everything else they release, if it's not as good as that, it betrays the idea of the snapshot. And it's not uncommon, it was at one point a more common phrase to say something like, if you're a fan of X artists and you still love their, you want them to make their earlier music, just listen to their earlier music, instead of bemoaning the fact they won't continue to make that earlier music. Which brings me to these three artists that I've listed, the 1975 Phoenix and Arctic Monkeys. This idea of the snapshot, instead of real life, this perfect, this imagined perfect distillation, That remains still. So let's start with the 1975. They started as a band in the early 2000s under various names. They were kids themselves. They only became the 1975 around 2012, released their debut album 2013. They've just put out their fifth album, Being Funny in a Foreign Language, a few weeks ago. As I might have mentioned once or twice on this podcast. For me personally, my snapshot, I say in quotes when it comes to them, is their debut and second album. Funnily enough, the two albums that I wasn't there for upon their release, those are the two albums I really got into retroactively. I really got along for the ride around uh, A Brief Inquiry, their third album. So there's a 1975. They started playing together, the members, in the early 2000s, started officially releasing music about 10 years into their career. And... From that debut, number one in the UK. Their second album was number one in the UK and US. Hit the ground running. Arena tours ever since. Then you've got Phoenix. Phoenix were friends for a long time in the 90s. Released their first album in the early 2000s. And they, I think it would be fair to say, they were kind of also rams at that time. They They didn't have the big arrival that the 1975 did. Phoenix released three albums, the names of which escape me. I think it is United, Alphabetical, and It's Never Been Like That. And it wasn't until their fourth album, Wolfgang Amadeus, Phoenix. That's a challenge. Can I name all of the albums by all of these bands? Real quick, the 1975. 1975, I Like It When You Sleep for US So Beautiful Yet So Unaware Of It. A Brief inquiry, inquiry Into Online Relationships. Notes in a Conditional Form, Being Funny in Foreign Language. Phoenix, United alphabetical, it's never been like that, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, bankrupt, ah, Tiamo, and Alpha Zulu just came out this year, Arctic Monkeys, whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not, favourite worst nightmare, and this is where you get me, because one of them's called Humbug, and one of them's called Suck It and See, but I can't remember which way around they are, I do know number five is AM, number six is Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino, and number seven is the car which just came out, remember I said a few albums al- a few albums, a few episodes ago about how there's a whole bunch of bands from the early 2000s who are all at around their 5th, 6th, 7th album now anyway back to, <laughs> back to our regularly scheduled programming this might be a bit of a longer episode I can feel myself getting in the groove Phoenix, debut album in the early 2000s didn't really break through to the mainstream until their 4th album Wolfgang and Madea's Phoenix which actually won a Grammy the only band of these 3 to win a Grammy I think, at least for their album Arctic Monkeys might have won for packaging or something or a single that I'm not aware of, but they broke through with Wolfgang Amadeus, which I think came out 2009, and have been pretty big ever since. That the sound of that album seems to be uh, has seems to have become a bit of a cornerstone of their sound in general. Then we have Arctic Monkeys released their debut album in I'm gonna say 2006. I've just been listening to a podcast about Franz Ferdinand which is a really good podcast. Theirs is a very interesting story. Alex Kapranos, the singer from Franz Ferdinand, needs to read an audiobook. His voice is fantastic. They released their debut in 2004, Block Party 2005, Arctic Monkeys 2006. You see what I mean when I say there was just a season of debut albums that were elite, outstanding. We were spoiled, really. We didn't know we had it so good. Arctic Monkeys hit the ground running. They, prob- they had the biggest debut of the three bands. Between 1975, Phoenix and Arctic Monkeys, their arrival was the biggest, fastest-selling debut album in UK history at the time. Might still hold the record. I don't know if any other UK act has topped that. Maybe One Direction? I don't know. And they went from strength to strength. Arguably, their popularity dipped a little around the third and fourth album Case in point, I couldn't quite remember which way round those albums are. I could look it up, I'm not going to cheat. But then they had a new peak, and I think maybe even a bigger peak, with AM, their fifth album. And then after AM, they took a very sharp left turn from what was expected from them, which we should have seen coming, considering their debut album is called Whatever People Think I Am, That's What I'm Not. So they hit it big with the first album, hit it big again with their fifth album, and now they've very much turned away from their classic sound. And so the idea of the snapshots, for me personally with each of these bands, I already said with the 1975, my snapshot, my moment when they were quote-unquote perfect for me was their debut and second album I've mentioned in a previous episode at some point how I got almost fixated on what they, what their career trajectory, what their lives, what their whole touring life was like around the year of their debut, 2013. They released demos in 2012, started releasing EPs in 2012, released their debut album autumn 2013, and really kind of blew up. And the, the two albums I enjoy the most are the ones that I wasn't there for when they came out, which might play a part in my whole having that as their snapshot. And then everything since has been good. There's always been at least one song that's really stuck with me, but the albums as a whole, I've appreciated them more than completely loved them. But I've come to the conclusion now, I just listened to an episode of Soda Jerker, which is a podcast about songwriting, and their most recent episode is with the 1975. And I think this podcast episode of theirs, along with Matty's interview with Zane Lowe, are my favourite interviews at the moment, and I came to the conclusion, I may be like 30-40% a fan of the band, and 70-60% a fan of Matty, because he talks about being in a band, in a way that I don't really get from any other frontman, or band person in general, maybe uh, LCD Sound System in their earlier days, but, The guy who does LCD sound, James Murphy, doesn't really do interviews that much anymore anyway. Although apparently they're doing another season of shows in this month and next month in New York, which sounds cool. So maybe a new album is on the way. So um, 1975, My Snapshot is their debut and second album. But arguably they've gone from strength to strength since. Phoenix, I really took them to heart. My sister's the one who put me onto them around Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. When I was at uni, she said, check out this song, Listomania. it seems like your kind of thing. She was absolutely right. I've really been along for the ride since then and enjoyed everything that's come out since, more so than every new 1975 album since I joined that ride. So I joined along for Wolfgang Amadeus and I was there for the release of Bankrupt and Tiamo and now Alpha Zulu. I've already mentioned Alpha Zulu is my favourite Of these big releases in September, October. Arctic Monkeys, I guess my snapshot period for them is AM, although I didn't take them to heart around their debut as much as everyone else did. Arctic Monkeys and Arcade Fire are two bands that were huge around their debut albums, but just didn't quite do it for me. They had odd songs I loved. With Arctic Monkeys, it was Fake Tales from San Francisco. With Arcade Fire, it was Power Out. They had songs I really enjoyed. I appreciated the live shows, but I didn't capital L love them the way the rest of the crowd did not to be a contrarian it just didn't do it for me that's one thing about music one thing about music when it hits you feel no pain the other thing about music is that you kind of can't fake it if something captures you it doesn't if it does it does if it doesn't it doesn't you can try to rationalize or explain after the fact but that initial reaction is undeniable so that's how I feel about each of those three bands but I can kind of make an educated guess about what the fan bases of each of those bands think of the snapshots of each band. So the nineteen seventy five, I think they reached a peak popularity with their third album. Notes, not notes. Brief inquiry, a brief inquiry into online relationships. There's a, there's a. I don't know if I've already done this episode, or if I need to do it, or maybe I'll just do it again. But there's this idea I have of the the Radiohead curse, because Radiohead had one of their most popular albums with OK Computer, really big rock record. And then they did that famous 180 turn and went very electronic with the next album, Kid A. And I can't help but feel that many a band since then has tried to imitate that. In this instance, the 1975 did their big State of the Union, Voice of a Generation album, like very deliberately trying to make that type of statement with their album A Brief Inquiry into Online Relationships to the point where they even have a a track on that album that's essentially auto-tuned the whole way through like it sounds like a machine talking to you not unlike Fitter Happier that Radiohead have on OK Computer this was their big statement album and I think if you ask the fan base it would be a tie between their second and third albums which is the most popular even though, personally for me, third album, I didn't hold them as close to my heart. But I just, I appreciated more than really loved it. And with Phoenix, wait, now I started with Phoenix. I'm getting all tongue-tied here. So 1975 is the first two albums for me. I think it's the third album for the fan base. With Phoenix, I think Wolfgang Amadeus is their peak. I don't think they've had a massive drop-off since. Because their sound has been fairly consistent since then. But I think it would be safe to say Wolfgang Amadeus is would be the snapshot period for most of their fans. With good reason. It's a very good album from top to bottom. And also very popular in the video game, Rock Band as well. Oh, man. was it? I think it was 1901 that's on that game. And I was always the drummer. And, oh, it was a very, very good time. Arctic Monkeys, I think their the fan base might be a bit split between Debut and AM. Older fan base would say... No, yeah, older fan base would say the Debut... Younger fan base would say AM. I don't think, I think the smallest part of the fan base would say that now is their snapshot period. I think for all three of these acts, I don't think it'd be a popular opinion that where they are at now is their snapshot phase, their halcyon period, where infallible they can do no wrong they're just firing on all cylinders 10 out of 10 across the board now with phoenix their most recent album alpha zulu is very reminiscent of their breakthrough wolfgang amadeus phoenix it doesn't feel particularly deliberate i think they've just zeroed in on what works for them and it happens to sound like that but it's still a very good album in its own right with the 1975 They're at a point where they they feel like they are deliberately trying to recreate their greatest hits. They were going to call their newest album at their very best. Instead, that's what they called their tour. How they have set up their newest tour is interesting. They do, like a first hour of the show is playing their newest album from front to back. There's a bit of a performance piece in between. You might have seen on Twitter that the lead singer ate some raw meat on stage. It makes sense within the show, I think, kind of. And then the second hour of the show is essentially the 1975 at their, great, at their very best. They play a, a bit of a greatest hits set list, which is a really interesting idea. I do, I've got to give it to them. They, that's why I say I might be more of a fan of Matty than the band, because you can tell this is someone who, in fact, he says it in his most recent interview. It's like a character in a film who knows he's in a film and decides to mess with it. He, that's how he treats being in a band. And that, for me, is interesting to witness and to follow along. But they can very much actively try to be their snapshot right now. In, the, in this most recent interview, Matt, he says... What did he say? He says, they had a bit of a discussion. If you were at a, fest, a music festival and you walked past the 1975 stage and you caught them out of the corner of your eye, what would you expect to see? And he said, black and white, pink kind of 80s sounding tunes and his hair. And there's a lot of that here. Whereas Phoenix sound like, sound similar to their breakthrough in a good way. A Part of me feels like the 1975 do it slightly somewhat on autopilot. I mentioned in the episode where I talk about their album that they sound a little bit like they are using the presets of their previous songs. Whereas in the past, and I, I they'd argue they do it now as well, they would clearly listen to songs they love, think about what it is about those songs that they love, how those songs make them feel, and then try to recreate that feeling. Whereas now, it feels like they're doing that with their own discography. And I'm at the point where I hear their newest stuff, and instead of really loving the newest stuff, I hear the echoes of their earlier stuff. Which takes a... I'm speaking very minimally here, but it kind of takes something away from me. And then you've got Arctic Monkeys, who have who seemed to be actively trying to forget their snapshot period and move as far away from it as possible. Early two- uh, Mid-2000s debut album, they were along the sides of Franz Ferdinand, Block Party, The Strokes, The Libertines, a bit rough and ready, fantastic lyrics, music to make you move. Arctic Monkeys, they slowed it down a little bit, more leather jackets and greased up hair, Heavy influence from the likes of Queens of the Stone Age and The Black Keys. Bit more bluesy, bit more hip-hop. Very effective, very popular. I think that album is the only one that has their tracks with over a billion streams. I might be wrong there. Then they very much went into lounge rock. Now, it's not a side of them that's never been seen before. Alex has a side project called The Last of the Shadow Puppets, which sounds similar to this. Some of their slower tracks in the past have elements of what they are doing now. But it feels like a very bold decision. To It feels like they know what you want and they refuse to give it to you because this is what they want to do. Which you have to respect. If you don't love it, you have to at least respect it. They So I was talking to someone online about how they saw Arctic Monkeys at Reading Festival this year and said they were a little bit of a disappointment, if they're being honest. And it's because... When you think about earlier songs like Brian Storm or, you know, I bet that you look good, I bet that you look good on the dance floor. Those are made for the indie rock dance floor. Those are made to get the crowd going. You'd be hard pushed to find a song that does a similar thing on their most recent album The Car. But it's not as if they have tried and failed. It's very much like whatever rule book they wrote on how to do that, they threw it out the window and said, "Nope. Pretend we never did that. Let's just take our let's take a whole new path. And the more you've remained beholden to the notion of the snapshot, the more you miss out on what it is these artists are trying to communicate now. And I'll be honest, I'm a bit beholden to the snapshot with the 1975. Very much not the case with Phoenix, and a little bit the case with Arctic Monkeys. With the 1975, there's at least one song on each album that gets me in the way I wish the whole album got me. And in this case, it's the song About You. With Arctic Monkeys, it's the song Big Ideas. I, have, I fell off. I was never fully on the train with the debut, even less so with albums 2, 3, and 4. 5, has paid a bit more attention because of the popularity of it, and I could see why. I really like the song I Want To Be Yours. And Fireside. And with this new album, it's a song called Big Ideas. That is that song that just kind of gets me. But I, was, I never held them. Of the three bands, they are the ones I held furthest away from my heart. I like them. Definitely don't love them. But I appreciate what they do. But every now and then on this podcast, I tend to talk about the music that I make. And I have to be honest, I have been eyebrow deep in the quote-unquote snapshot when it comes to my music. I have been talking about the first 16 songs I want to put out, all called Midnight, on TikTok, and I am still thrilled by the react—the fact they got any kind of reaction, but the reaction they have received. Just just the hints, the glimpses of demos, there's been such a positive reaction, for which I'm really grateful. But part of the reason I've been so good at procrastinating and putting off finishing these things part of what I'm working against is the idea of the snapshot, the idea that in my mind, I have this perfect image of how all of this music sounds finished, without actually putting in the work to finish it. So it's as if I am singing along to these songs. But if you ask me what the words are, I wouldn't know what to tell you. In my head, I got them so perfectly finished. But if I put pen to paper, I can't. Lyrics, and let's say, for one example, the lyrics. Half of the songs in those 16 don't have finished lyrics. But that hasn't stopped me from enjoying the the imagined finished product. When the truth is, I think there was a John Mayer interview I saw where he's talking to Zane Lowe in his studio. And he says, yeah, you can pick up a guitar and, you know, strum a few chords or something. But if you don't start committing words to it straight away, that can, whatever you do, can very quickly join a never-ending pile of half thoughts through ideas. If you can pick up something, start strumming and start singing and start treating it like a finished song straight away, you give yourself that much more fuel to actually finish the thing rather than just strumming chords thinking that sounds cool and stopping there. And I'm very much guilty of just strumming the chords thinking that sounds cool and stopping there. And not just with these 16 songs. It goes much further than that. In fact... This is my cue to pick up my unplugged guitar, which hopefully you'll be able to kind of hear. This is what I mean when I say I'm very deep in the snapshot phase. It started with the first band I was in, where I went from just being the singer to writing lyrics, to coming up with musical ideas, to writing songs, to imagining. At a certain point, my thinking left the reality of the band behind and I just got caught up in my own ideas and thoughts and ambitions without actively communicating it and moving the project along with it, which is how we end up here. But with this unplugged guitar, which hopefully you can just about hear enough, this is a very fast-forward run-through of what would be album three by loads of Japanese bands. So track one goes... uh... Well, I'll just give you the quickest glimpses of it. So track one. Track two. Track three. Track four. Track five. Track six. Track seven. Track eight. Track 9, track 10, track 11, track 12. Now, to everyone listening to this now in the year 2022, All that might have sounded somewhat amusing for the two minutes or so that I've been playing, but otherwise it's meaningless. You've just heard glimpses. In my head, I have the full fleshed out thing, minus lyrics, minus actual recordings of it. But I have it living in that perfect snapshot phase in my head. And I've become very comfortable with it existing just like that. But what I need to work on now is reckoning with the fact that what I actually make will not be the snapshot that I have in my head. But that does not diminish the value of it. That doesn't make it any less worth pursuing. Because the snapshot in your head was never going to be real exactly as it is. You should use it more as a guiding post, as something to work towards rather than holding fast to it as this is the finished product and this is what it has to be. Otherwise, you'll ultimately never be satisfied, you'll always be thinking oh but it's not quite what I have in my head it's a bit like the term "demoitis," I think where you can make a demo of a song and think okay that's the rough idea now let's make the full flesh thing and whatever you make you can't help but feel like yeah but the demo just sounded better or as Quincy Jones puts it paralysis from analysis where you can just spend forever laboring over every nook and cranny of the song that you can Eternally delay ever finishing it Because you could always tweak this a bit more Or add a bit more of this or a bit less of that Or A, B, these two different versions and so on Yeah, so the idea of the snapshot really did stick with me Hence me going on for about half an hour about it I can imagine if you're listening this far First of all, if you're listening this far Thank you very much for doing so You can find me online, blah, 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 blah But do you have any albums? Any artists for whom you have a snapshot, period? Are there any elements of your life where yes, you are guilty of living in the snapshot of it rather than in the reality of it? If you have been through that, have you found a way to work through it or work past it? Have you had a creative endeavor where you had this perfect idea of it in your head, but you had to wrestle with the fact that the reality would not be the same as that perfect idea? Is there another trick that I'm missing? It's very much what I'm working on now. I haven't yet done anything musical this week. It's only Tuesday. There's still time, but I need to... Another thing that goes right alongside the snapshot is something I mentioned a few episode today, the idea that there's always tomorrow, that there will be some magic time when, bam, I'll get 90% of the work done in one fell swoop. And it doesn't work that way. Much like the snapshot doesn't exist in reality, get finishing, achieving, doing the thing you want to do can't always be done in one fell swoop you might have done it in one fell swoop in the past and gotten away with it but don't let that fool you into thinking that's how it's done all the time that is what's the saying that's a bug not a feature that's a one-off not the default that's what i'm reckoning with now as i sit here on this tuesday evening i'm not even sure what i would work on this evening because there's so many different areas to work on it's Another thing for me is where instead of taking 10 steps in one direction, you take 10 steps in 10 different directions and end up right back where you started. Instead of making any progress, you can look back on. So what I, in saying that, maybe what I should do is pick a particular song and just get that some way forward and go from there. What I definitely need to do is finish recording this episode because I've gotten so comfortable now. This was was the first take, by the way. Well done, me, (laughs) if you're listening, if you want to pat me on the back. But I've very much fallen into a habit of getting 10 seconds, a minute, two minutes in and thinking, oh, I stumbled on my words. Let me delete it and start again. But this time, I was in the flow. Maybe it's because I had notes. Maybe it's because I'm not physically holding my phone. Hopefully it doesn't sound too bad. I, I long ago forsook, have forsaken the notion of listening back to what I record. Because at this point, I'm recording like 35, almost 36 minutes. I don't have time to listen back to all of that before I upload it. So I just hope for the best. But I need to finish this episode and then crack on with taking my ideas and making them a reality. And also shouting about it as much as I can online because that's another thing that I get stunted on. When you post online, particularly on TikTok, you can get wrapped up in the snapshot and that can make you put off making more, but that isn't what moves things forward. The snapshot will be how you go nowhere except to have a page where you last posted three months, four months, five months, six months, two years ago, because you just kept thinking I don't quite have the perfect idea or that's. Either you keep thinking I don't have the perfect idea or you keep thinking, you keep putting off doing it because you want to somehow do it all in one fell swoop. When the truth is, the progress comes from letting go of the snapshot and just showing the reality repeatedly, consistently. That's what gets people on board. My most popular videos of recent have just been me playing in my room. I did a live stream where I was ironing my white shirts. And when you do a live stream, you don't know who's going to show up first in the comments. The first comment I got was, are you in prison? (laughs) Because all you could see is the top half of my body, a little bit of the ironing board and like a poster board behind me in my room. And so the first thing I got was, are you in prison? (laughs) Which I chose to see the funny side of the more than anything else. But again, it's not about being perfect and arriving with the snapshot. It's about arriving with the reality and just finding a way to share it effectively. And the only way to find that effective method is to keep doing it wrong until you come across the way that connects, the way that is right, and then you build upon that. But you can't get to that unless you let go of the snapshot. So me ending this episode now is is yet another effort towards letting go of the snapshot. This has been episode 321 of Saddest Night Out. I have 44 episodes to go to finally make a year's worth of episodes. I don't think there are 44 days left in the year. I think there's 32. But hopefully at some point in January, I will reach that milestone. Hopefully by the time I reach that milestone, I'll have music on Spotify called Midnight as well watch this space. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you on the next one. Take care.